Would you guys open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 21 as we continue our series. Uh, thank you so much, Craig. As we continue our series on the parables, and uh, this morning we are going to be talking about a parable that is uh, familiar, but not really. Uh, we're going to be talking about, if you open your bulletins and in your notes, we're going to be talking about the parable of the two sons. The parable of the two sons. And, um, you know, this is the less famous parable because the famous one is the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. But this morning we're talking about the parable of the two sons. And since we're talking about two sons, I came across an article on the Chicago Tribune on July 31st, 2002. They had a story, a true story, about two sons. In 1958, a baby was born into the Lane family. The father, a man named Robert, chose to name his boy Winner Lane. Wow. How could the young man fail to succeed with a name like Winner Lane, right? And several years passed, and the, the Lanes had another son. And for some reason, Robert names his other son Loser lanes. <laughs> Apparently, when they got home from the hospital, they asked the, the, the daughter, the oldest sister, <laughs> like, hey, what do you think we should name your baby brother? He goes, hey, we already, have a, we already have a winner family in our family. Might as well have a loser in our family. Note to self, right? That's why you don't let your children name the names of your babies. Anyways, and um, how tragic to doom your child and the boy's future with a name like Loser Lane. And of course, all the family thought they knew the boy's lives would unfold. But contrary to all expectations, Loser Lane succeeded in life. He was a star athlete in high school. He graduated from college and later became a sergeant with the NYPD, shield number 2762. Nowadays, no one feels comfortable, comfortable calling him Loser Lane, so they just call him Lou, L-O-U. Hey, Captain Lou. And what about the can't-miss brother? Well, the most worthy achievement of Winter Lane is the sheer length of his criminal record. Inmate number 0032807 has nearly three dozen arrests for burglary, domestic violence, trespassing, resisting arrest, and other mayhem. Sometimes things don't seem as they do at first. And this morning, we're going to read about two brothers, and things don't seem as they do at first. So would you all stand together with me as we read Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses 28 to 30, 32 actually. Okay, I can go ahead and read. You could follow along with your eyes. Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, hey son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went to the vineyard, verse 30. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he said, and he answered, 
I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father, they said. The first, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes, they go in the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for each and every single person who is here this morning. Lord, it's Independence Day weekend. Some people are taking four, five-day weekends. But, Lord, we thank you that your people have devoted themselves, Lord, to hear you, to hear from your word, to worship you. I just pray, Father, that the very purpose that you brought us here this morning will come to pass that the purposes of God will come into fruition within our hearts this morning, within our lives, within our marriages, within our families, within our health. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see wonderful things from your law, that we would receive everything that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's just get straight to the point this morning. In your bulletin, here is the main point. This is the thrust. This is the big idea of what Matthew 21 of the parable of the two sons is all about. Would you write down in your notes that God is more interested in your present decision than in your past failures? God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, he is more concerned of where your heart is at right now than your past mistakes. From the story of the two sons, or the parable of the two sons, we can see that what God really cares about is where your current faith is at. Where is the condition of your heart as opposed to the mistakes of your past? You see, God preaches a gospel of now. Today, if you hear his if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, come and experience salvation. God is more interested in your current obedience of where you're at right now than in your past disobedience. See, the short but powerful parable is told in two acts. One seems like a winner from the start, and yet the other looks like a loser from the start. And here's act one, all right? If we could contextualize this a little bit, all right? Make it 2,000 years later. So a dad and his two sons, they're sitting around the breakfast table. Now in those days, uh, family and work life were intimately connected. Sons work for their dads, and so the dad giving instruction for a day's work is to be expected. So the dad tells son number one, hey, go to work in the vineyard. Now, son number one has a mind of his own. He's wearing skinny jeans that are torn, vaping an e-cigarette, and he looks, as at, he looks from his half-eaten bowl of Lucky Charms and says, are you serious right now, Dad? The vineyard is hard work and long hours. Bend, pull, carry, work, sweat. No thanks. I'm good. That's not for me. Now the tension at the breakfast table is thick. 
This is a really rude response for a son to make to his father. Now the father turns to son number two and tells him, hey, can you go work in the vineyard, please? Now the son number two is wearing Docker's khaki pants tucked in with a button-up polo shirt with penny loafers while eating organic fair trade tofu omelet, all right? And now, have you ever noticed that when one sibling gets in trouble, the other transform into an angel? Have you noticed that, parents? Like, uh, you know, Renee and uh, Johnny, the bass player, right? Their brother and sister, and they were telling my kids, oh, when we were growing up, you know, uh, my dad would bring home dinner. And when one of us would complain, like, oh, man, uh, chicken again, the other one would just say, Oh, Dad, thank you so much for dinner. And then he would give the other one a wink, 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 ha-ha, right? I'm the good one. You're the bad sibling, right? Now, anyways, the second son says, Yes, sir, I will go. He is cheerful. He is compliant. He lays it thick and says, You know what, Dad? Father of mine, doing vineyard work would be my highest honor. It may be for some, but for me, it is an utter privilege. Thank you so much for asking me. I was thinking this morning in my morning devotions that, man, I love the vineyard and working in it. Dad and mom beam as they watch their second son. He's the hero of the family. The curtain drops at act one. So this is the first part of Matthew 21 of the parable sons, the parable of the two sons. Here comes act two. Lights on. Son son number one, you know, the skinny jeans, ripped jeans, right? Vaping the e-cigarette. Act two, he comes and he slams the door right behind him. He gets on his Harley with his girlfriend, who has a tongue ring, by the way, and they ride off into the sunset. But a strange thing begins to happen to son number one. As he is cruising away to the syncopated roar of the engine, he can't get over his dad's words out of his head. Man, he he thinks about all that his dad has done for him. He thinks about the honest state of his own life. His heart softens and his stubbornness melts. And the word that Jesus used here means to have a change of mind that the son, he realizes, at first he said, no, I'm not going to do that, forget that. But he changes his mind, his heart softens, he goes, you know what? Was not smoking, it's clear that he was the one blowing smoke. Two sons, one openly defiant to the will of the father, but changes his heart. The other saying the right words, playing the part, but he did not follow through with his, accent, with his actions. And Jesus asked, which of these did the will of the Father? And the original listeners answered correctly, the one or the son who went to the vineyard. Would you write down the, the first principle? It's on your notes. Would you write down this? That not all rebellion is outward. Not all rebellion against God is outward. 
because oftentimes we can come before the Lord, we play the part, but inward, inwardly our hearts are so full of pride, our hearts are, are so rebellious against God that we want to come to God in our own terms that we want to do our own thing but we, because of our own pride we want to look good in front of others and we could see here that not all rebellion is outward the context of this in Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11 it's Palm Sunday so the people are shouting as Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem people are shouting Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. And God, Jesus comes in into Jerusalem. As he enters into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, he drives out, he, he makes up a whip, he overturns the tables, he whips out the merchants, and he calls them, you made this house of prayer into a den of thieves. And then as he does that, there were some who were blind and lame, he cannot see. This is the heart of God, right? to the self-righteous, to the religious who are making money off of the temple sacrificial system. He drives them out. But to those who are sick and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus and he goes and heals them. In verses 23 to 27, we see the chief priests and the elders, the righteous ones, they're challenging Jesus. Who do you think you are? These little kids saying to you, Hosanna, Hosanna, like you're the savior of the world. The point is this, that Jesus tells this parable to religious scribes and chief priests and Pharisees. The story was directed at them because outwardly they were obediently. Outwardly they observed the Torah or the law of God. Outwardly they played the part, but inwardly their hearts were far from God and they rebelled from their heart. You know, Jesus actually told this to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 18. Let's go ahead and turn there, please. Luke chapter 18, verses 9. Okay? To some who were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He says, you know what? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. He was a priest. He was a pastor. The other was a tax collector, betrayed his own people. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the stinking tax collector. Stinking, that's the John Dangannon revised edition. All right, verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. I tithe my money. Look at verse 13. But the tax collector, he couldn't even come to the altar in the front. He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says that all of us have strayed. We become one who is unclean. And check this out. All of our righteous acts before God, they're like filthy rags. 
They're dirty rags. When we come before the Lord and look, God, I obeyed. I did my devotions. Look, God, I went to church. Look, God, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And you come before the Lord. The Bible says that this is like filthy rags. And some of us this morning, we're outwardly doing the right things. We go to church, but we're coming to God based on our own righteousness, our own performance, our own goodness, our own religion. You see, five chapters before this, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet saying, you honor me with your lips. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, we can become like son number two. You and I, we could talk the part, we could look the part, we can go to church, but not unless you and I come to a realization that we're, in, we're desperate sinners in need of a savior, of savior, that apart from Christ, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. That if Jesus did not come and open my life, open my heart to the truth of the gospel, if Jesus didn't transform and change my life, I am dead in my sin. That I have no capacity, I am completely incompetent and unable to respond to the things of God. That God had to change my life, He had to open my eyes, He had to remove the blinds. When I saw how sinful I am, but how holy God is, then we can come and enter into relationship with Christ. And the good news this morning is this. This is the main point, that God is more concerned about your present decision than your past failures. Whatever you did in your high school years, your college years, your early adult life, you may have hardened your heart against God. I will never be a Christian. Man, those guys are so, such hypocrites. And you may have hardened your heart like son number one, but God softened your heart. Romans 3 says that his kindness leads us to repentance. When you realize the kindness of God, then you had a change of heart. Who you were back then does not define who you are now. Cry out to God for mercy and receive grace that is in Christ Jesus. Blaise Pascal, um, who's one of my favorite uh, theologians or philosophers, says this. There are only two, if we could put that, Dawson, there are only two kinds of people. The righteous who think they are sinners and the sinners who think they are righteous. Where are you at this morning? Do you need the grace of God every day in your life? Do you preach the gospel to yourself? I'm not worthy, but Jesus is. It's because Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, that I could respond to the things of God, that he saved me. It's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I have a kind heart, I have good intentions. It's because God is good. Are you the sinner, the Pharisee that prays pridefully of your own righteousness? Or are you the righteous, the tax collector who knows that you're a sinner saved by grace? You beat your chest and you plead for mercy to God every day. Who 
God is more concerned about your present decision of where your heart, if you have a heart of obedience right now where you're at, than your past mistakes. Because not all rebellion is outward. It could be inward before God. Secondly, would you write down, right faith seeks to live right. <laughs> if you have the proper faith, you will seek to live properly before the Lord. After son number one changed his mind, a change of heart, he believed the right thing, then he began to live right. You guys know that a change of mind, now this is not the Greek word repentance, which is metanoia. This word actually right here is metamolomai, which means it's just a remorse, like a change of mind, like a change of mind, listen, produces a change in direction. A change of heart, if you've really been changed in your heart, it produces or it leads to a change in action. Because you see here, son number one, even though he hardened his heart against God, he's like, you know what? My dad wants the best for me, so you know what? I'm going to go. And then it says, and he went. And he went. Right thinking or right faith leads to right living or right action. In our text, Jesus talked about tax collectors and prostitutes believing in John the Baptist and his message of repentance. And let's look at what that faith resulted in Luke chapter 3. How right faith leads to right living. Luke chapter 3, verse 12, it says, The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall, I, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. If your faith is right, you want to live rightly. For the soldier, it meant that he was not going to take bribes or extort money from anybody. For the tax collector, it meant that he was not going to collect more and be greedy than what he's authorized to do. Because some of us, here this morning, we're, we're, we're outwardly, we're playing the part, or we may even be son number one. We, we, we think we know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. And the Bible says in James that if, if you know what you ought to do and you do it, and you don't do it to you, it is a sin. For some of us here, it's time to take that faith and make it into a commitment some of you, God has been calling you to get involved in ministry, to get and to start serving. You see here, when you begin to follow the Lord, you're going to begin to live right and you're going to do 
actions and you're going to take steps to live out your faith, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For some, of, for some of us here this morning, it may mean that, you know what, if you're cohabitating and you're living with your boyfriend and your girlfriend, either break up or get married. You know what you ought to do, do it. If you really have this right belief that God is holy, then you should live in obedience and submission to his holiness. For some of you, you're, you're holding on to this grudge. Oh, I, I don't know why to tithe. Tithing doesn't belong, you know, I, it's my money and oh, the church. God does not want your money. He wants your heart. If you know what is right, if you believe that God is generous, you should respond and reflect his generosity in yourself. For some of you, maybe some of the men in here, it's time to step up as the leader in the home. If you know that that's what God has called you to do, do it. Right belief leads to right actions. And you know, Jesus says like, man, you guys, if your right arm causes you to sin, what did he say? Chop it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, what? Gouge it out. You notice Jesus never told the prostitute, the, the Samaritan woman, you know, you know, you should uh, commit adultery, but do so that, that it doesn't bring reproach or, or dishonor to my name. He's like, no, go and sin no more. He never told the prostitute, uh, what is the most ethical way that you could prostitute yourself? <laughs> right? And, and for some of us here this morning, there's things in your life that's preventing you into this relationship with God, and you got to cut it off and you got to gouge it out. If you're messing around with pornography, man, there's an enemy to your soul that's going to devour and destroy you. You got to lay that down before the cross and ask and plead God for grace and strength and mercy to live a righteous and holy life. So whatever it is this morning, God, who you were back then does not define who you are now. God is more concerned in your present decision to love him, to follow him, to obey him than your past mistakes, than your past failures of where you're at. Amen? And so I'm going to ask one of our dear brothers, uh, Duke Agdinoy, my Filipino brother from my mother mother, and he's going to go ahead and share his testimony of how God change his life and that how he resisted the call of God in his life but he decided to give his life to the Lord. Hey, would you guys welcome Duke? Uh, good morning. My name is Duke. Um, the first service, I was nervous. Now my family, all my family is here. I'm more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good um, you guys all good looking, you guys look all awesome, and that's my encouraging word today. And um, I just, um, just wanted to share how God changed my life and transformed me into a godly man. I was baptized and brought up as a Catholic child and always attended church, but not knowing why I'm going to church. But I knew in my heart there was a God and wanted to know who he was. So when you ask, you shall receive. 
When you seek, you shall find. And when you knock, the doors will, op will be open. So God opened the doors, and we got invited to a Christian church. I didn't know the difference between Catholic and Christian church, ch churches. So we decided to go, my whole family, and checked it out. We liked it because it was different from what we know. So I started going every week. But even though I was going to church, I was still the same person who would not give up on my old lifestyle. My old lifestyle was drinking, partying every week. At home, my kids would be terrified of me when I am angry. They would pretend they would be sleeping in bed so they won't face me and not scolding me and not scolding them. I had a fast fuse. Even at my coworkers, I, I would yell at them and I couldn't care less what they say about me. I didn't like myself at all. I was living a lie and would pretend everything is awesome even though I was going to church. So one day, I decided I would put my food in and start reading the Bible. So, okay, I hate reading. The only reading part I like is pictures. Everybody knows that, yeah? Everybody like that, yeah? Okay? Um, but when I was reading the Bible, I found myself drawn to God's word and kept reading and learning who Jesus Christ was. So I decided to attend a ministry, got involved in a mini church or Bible study, even read a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. If you guys, heard, if you guys read that, it's an awesome book. That's when I felt that God has transformed me and changed, me, changed my life. In May 21st, 2006, I made a decision to be baptized that was one of my best decisions in my life. My second best decision in my life is marrying the love of my life, Jonelle. Put you on the spot, girl. <laughs> she would remind me to go to mini church and attend service every Sunday. Whew, here we go again. In June of 2010, little did I know that our life would change forever. My wife got sick and was diagnosed with a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. When your immune system attacks your nerves, that causes paralyzation in your whole body. After she got him better, a few weeks later, she suffered a heart attack. She needed double, pass double bypass surgery and she got it. So I was blind blindsided and was overwhelmed by the events of happening to our, to our life. I prayed and asked God, why is this happening to her? And she has done nothing wrong. It was me who sins against you, God. But I kept my faith strong, kept praying for quick healing, and relying on God's promise that he would never leave us, never forsake us. I had family and friends and brothers and sisters in church would come visit and sing worship and pray over us. But there was one thing I remember what our pastor said to, us, said to me when we visited us, is that God had prepared me in this time of suffering 
and to trust God no matter what the struggle we're going through. That's when I knew God gave me a new purpose in life and gave me a second chance. I never looked back. Now, my wife and my children saw how God had transformed my life. And put you on the spot too, son. That my son made a decision to give his life to Jesus Christ. If God can transform me from nothing, he definitely can transform anybody. And I'd just like to thank you and um, sharing my testimony to you guys. Thank you. So this morning, um, the question is, the point of a parable is that we identify. The point of a story and is that we identify with different characters. So which son are you this morning? Have you resisted the Lord? Have you resisted the call and the voice of God in your life? Keep suppressing the truth, keep suppressing the things of God, hardening your heart. You know, God is more concerned of where your heart is at right now in your present decision than your past mistakes and your past failures. This is your opportunity, church, to respond to the kindness of God, to acknowledge your own fallenness, that you've fallen short before a holy God, and to ask God for mercy and grace and to receive King Jesus into your life. Are you son number two? Are you just playing church? Only you know, only the Holy Spirit knows if you mean what you say. If you say, Lord, I love you, I'll follow you, do you really mean it? Is there a substance and a depth behind your decision and behind your words? Jesus says, let your yes be yes and let your no's be no's. And if you follow the Lord, it's time to, and if you've said yes to God, it's time to follow through on your commitment. It's time to put legs in your decisions and follow the Lord. Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow you. I'll love you, Lord. You've given your life to me. I give my life back to you. And so this morning, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to first of all just make an open invitation to those who have never received Jesus into their lives. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've heard, but today you're making a decision. You know what, God? You've been so good to me. You've been so faithful. Even though I've been faithless, you've been completely faithful. And now I want to give my life to you. Now I will follow you. Now I'm all in and love you. This is the e most eternal decision that you will make. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to respond to the good news of Jesus, that through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ, you can have eternal life with God the Father, both in the future when you breathe your last breath, but also that the kingdom of God would be here now, that you would experience the presence of God, you would experience the hope 
the joy that is in Christ Jesus, that you would experience the abundant life that is in Christ. And if you want to receive the Lord this morning, I'm going to count to three. Jesus said, you know what? If you will be ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. And you need to make a courageous stance and a bold commitment to follow the Lord. So I'm going to count to three and you respond and say yes to the Lord. One, two, three. Would you raise your hand? That's you this morning. Yes, yes, hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Yes, the Lord sees that. Hallelujah. Would you, would everyone repeat after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your son Jesus to live the perfect life that I could never live, to die my death on the cross that I deserved, to be raised from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Jesus, be my Savior. Save me from sin. Save me from the penalty of sin and save me from the power of sin. Be my Lord. You're the God over my life. And so Lord, we thank you so much, oh God, as all these hands have transitioned from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Lord, I pray, Father, right now that your Holy Spirit would be so strong, that your grace would be so irresistible, oh Lord God, that there would be a transformation and a change. Lord, I pray, God, for everybody else, oh Lord Jesus, Lord, that we would walk that step of obedience, that, Lord, we would walk, put legs in our faith, Lord, that we would walk out, Lord, the things that you've called us to do, Lord, the things that need to be cut out, oh Lord God, pornography, lying, Lord Jesus, stealing, coveting, materialness, love of money, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, oh Lord Jesus, that you, Holy Spirit, would give us the grace and the strength, Lord, to resist and to follow you. Give us a new heart, oh Lord Jesus, and would you do that for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people say, amen, amen, hallelujah. Hey, would you welcome those who said yes to the Lord this morning?